Today, we look at this man named Ananias. The only time in New Testament, Old Testament, all of Scripture, that this man is talked about. Now, you're going to remember earlier that there was this other Ananias who died in Sapphira. That's a different Ananias, okay, obviously. This is the only time this man is brought up, and this scene that happens here is a scene that you can visualize. And we can see Saul, this great terrorist of Christians, who prided himself in being the, um, the one that would be pointed out and would get all the glory for stomping out people who claim to follow Jesus. That's what he strived towards, right? This man was on his way out of Jerusalem because he had stomped out a lot of it. He had taken care of it mostly, and he was going to the hot spots. And Damascus was one place that he was ready to go to, and he was ready to shut this thing down, this uprising of Jesus' followers. So he gets permission to go from the high priest so that he can arrest them and bring them back and put them on trial, and he would go all for it and put them to death if that's what it took, right? So he got that permission, and he's on his way. And if you can imagine the scene, Saul is adamant, chest out, on his way to Damascus because he is on a mission, on a mission to stomp this out. He's on his way to Damascus and this huge vision, this overwhelming vision. It's almost, um, I don't know how to say it right, it, it, it's almost a scene of pain for him. You have to take it as this awful experience for Saul because it, it hits him so strongly, this flash of light. It's just not a glimmer. Oh, that hurt my eyes a little bit, right? But it's something that causes him to wilt and fall to the ground and to be defensive about. It's so powerful in front of him. He immediately goes blind, loses his sight, loses his vision and is presented by the voice of the Lord. Saul. Saul, why are you persecuted? Why are you doing this? What are you doing? You can imagine this, right? Saul is adamant that he's doing the right thing. He is adamant that everything he's doing is for the glory of God. That's the way he was... He was he was trained. If you're going against any of the traditions or the things that goes against any of the church and those who are the officials of the church, then I've got to shut you out. So he's adamant that what he's doing is the right thing, and he's on his way, and he comes to a realization that what he's doing, that what he's doing is the exact opposite of glorifying God. What he's doing is spitting in the face of the Lord. What he's doing is murdering, persecuting Jesus himself. Because he doesn't just say, you're hurting my people. No. He says, it is me, Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. The one who you are persecuting. There we go. 
It is me, Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. So what Jesus is saying, and this should give us um, a little more gumption in our life. As Christians, it should cause us to stand up a little bit straighter as we walk out of this church. Because anytime that anybody says anything to you or persecutes you in any way or rolls their eyes at you because of your beliefs or looks down on you at all, not only are they saying something negative to you, they're doing it to Jesus himself, right? They're doing it to the Father because this is what Jesus is saying. If you're hurting my people, you're hurting me. So if somebody does something, you better watch what you say because it ain't, it's. So anytime anybody back talks you, husbands, wives, you're doing that to the Lord. That's what I'm going to use with candor all week long. Don't back talk me. You're talking to the Lord. It's supposed to be funny. Sorry, sorry. All right. Anyway, um, at any rate, we have that behind us. We've got Jesus always not just at our hip ready to use, but in the forefront of us. We should take that and give us some more courage to step in obedience because he is with us everywhere we go in the highs and in the lows. So on this journey, Saul sees this vision and he is blinded. And there is something about blindness that causes our ears to work a little better. Think, think about that. And that's, a, that's a, in a literal sense, but it almost make, it, it makes sense spiritually too. When we lose our sensation of sight, it causes us, our other sensations, to reach out more and to be more alert. You heard the saying, and as the word of the Lord says, we walk by faith and not by sight. That goes far more than just sight. We are emotionally driven people. We do everything in our lives to support us more physically, personally, to meet our needs and our desires. If it feels good, I want to do it. I want this and I want this and I want this because it makes me feel good emotionally, physically. My vision, it looks good to me. It feels good to me. It sounds good to me. So I'm doing these things that are all about me, 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 me. Whereas Christians break away from that. And it's this thing called faith that takes the place of our personal desires. We're to walk by faith. We're to walk for the desires that are good for the Lord. And Saul gets to experience this firsthand. As he loses his sight, he is stumbling into Damascus. It is not on the road to Damascus that he converts and becomes a Christian, but is it in the city of Damascus when he gets there? Because in this moment... Saul is broken. Saul is a broken man as he falls to his knees and he, is, he realizes that he has been persecuting Jesus himself. He has been persecuting the Lord and everything that he has stood for and he has murdered for is wrong. Imagine the state of brokenness that this man is in. He is completely broken. 
And he stumbles into the city. And he finds his way onto a street called Straight. Into the house of a man named Judas. And it's not, none of the Judases we know. Judas was a very common name back then. Of the house of a man named Judas. And he found himself there. And he didn't eat for three days. He didn't drink for three days. He didn't sleep. He didn't do anything. But obviously, pray to the Lord. Because he was praying there. And then for the first time, he was actually praying Prayers that were spiritual prayers versus these mechanical public prayers to sound good and fall by tradition and do these things according to the line of ritual that he was taught to do. But for the first time, Saul was praying prayers in the name of Jesus, using Jesus as the mediator in which we pray all our prayers. And you'll notice in the name of Jesus we pray. He ain't never done that. And now he's knowing and understanding and being taught by the Lord as he's there to fully pray. So he's there. He's broken. He's at the most broken state he's ever been. And at a broken state, we can always feel like we're alone. We can always feel lonely. Imagine how lonely he is. He stumbled his way into this man's house. This man didn't know him. Man took care of him as a good person, should house him. And he is completely lost. He has no one. Think about where he is in this moment. He's stuck right in the middle. He can't go back and talk to the high officials and say this. All right, let me pick up the phone. All right, y'all. So I was on my way to Damascus, and this thing happened. I was on my way to get those Christians and to persecute and bring them back because we know how bad they are. And then something happened, and I saw this light, and I'm one of them now. Can I come back? No, right? Can't happen. And then on the other end, he can't go and say, hey, church, my name's Saul. You probably heard of me. Can I come and join your service today? Um, no, right? It's the last place, last person you're going to, listen, we're an opening church. We're going to let anybody in there. But this is probably not the right place. You can come to our evening service or something when we don't really have one. But you're welcome to come, right? We don't want you around, right? Because he's a, he's a murderer of Christians. He's a persecutor of Christians. So Saul had no one to go to. He is at the most lost, empty, broken state of his life. And at a moment like this, he can feel so lonely. But as we know, as we look in the story of Luke 4, Matthew 4, Jesus was sent into the desert. Although he was lonely, he was not alone. There's a difference of being lonely and being alone and they're totally. God will leave you and let you feel lonely, but he will never leave you alone. Because sometimes it takes that state of feeling lonely and loneliness to empty us so much to help us to reach such a rock bottom 
that allows us to be fully filled. And we have to be broken oftentimes to allow ourselves to be filled. And this is what's happening to Saul. And in this scene, Saul is struggling and he is at a broken state and everybody is scared to death. As word gets out that Saul is on his way, as you know it would, everybody's starting to find out in this city, Damascus, look out, the great terrorist, the great persecutor is on his way. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you better get prepared. You better hide, you better lock your doors, whatever. Take care of it. Well, scene changes. We see Ananias. And here's what happens. Verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus, a Christian, a believer, a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, plain guy, Ananias is not anyone that has this, um, this, this reputation or clout, or he's not anyone that has a higher rank. He is just this common man. He says, Ananias. And listen what Ananias said. Here I am, Lord. Okay, Lord. I'm ready, Lord. In other translations, we'll see, yes, I'm ready, Lord. Before Ananias has a clue what's going on, before he is asked to do anything, Ananias says, here I am, Lord. There's not a question mark after that. After that. Um, here I am, Lord. What do you need, right? It's more of a, here I am, Lord. I'm ready to do this. And that's a powerful statement just in that one sentence alone. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready to serve, and I'm just a nobody. Or am I? He's the disciple of Christ, ready. But what, what the Lord asks him to do is a little bit staggering. Verse 11, get up and go to the street called Straight. Street called straight. And the Lord said to the house of Judas, and you'll find a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Imagine this. In a vision, he had, in verse 12, he had seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Listen to what Ananias said. Lord, Lord, I, I'm ready. Here I am. But he tries to question the Lord and say, you know what you're talking about. Listen, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's like, all right, Lord, I hear what you say. I don't think you know what you're talking about. Have we ever been there before? We know we've got to do something. We know that this is the right thing to do. But in our minds, we twist it around and say, Lord, you just really, you just don't get it, all right? You don't know where I am right now in my life. This is not the time for me to be doing that yet. I'm not ready. Find somebody else. I'm not qualified. I'm not the right person. And do you know what you're asking me to do? The dangers of, my, of what you're going to do in my life? 
How are you going to flip my world upside down, Lord? It's just not the right time. Things aren't right right now. Lord, you just don't get it. That's what Ananias tried to pull. But oftentimes, as he was redirected again, the Lord said to him, go, go for this man is my chosen instrument. Saul, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. God chose Saul? That is not, that makes zero sense because there are far too many people out there in that world at the time that, that people wouldn't be scared of and be willing to listen to. Not a single Christian going to listen to Saul. They're going to be scared of him. God chose Saul. Ananias went and entered the house. Although he questioned, Ananias went. When God said go, Ananias went. And imagine this. The street called straight. I need you to go down this street. You're going to find this place, Ananias, where Judas lives. Go into Judas's house. All right. And I'm going to go and talk to Saul. So put yourself in the shoes of Ananias. I mean, your heart has to be racing. I'm about to die right here. Hey, Judas. Is there a man here? I don't know why I'm asking this. You don't know me. I don't know you. But I've got a question. Is there a man here right now that is blind? That from Tarsus? Oh, Judas would say, absolutely. This dude's been in here for three days. He ain't eating or he ain't drinking. I don't know what's going on, right? But yeah, he's right back there. It's like, yeah. All right, thanks. I, I, I need to go talk to him. Is that all right? Yeah, go talk to him. So imagine going in there. I'm hoping he's still blind and I hope he's not about to arrest me and this isn't a setup. It's not going to be bad, right? I go in there and I talk to Saul. As Ananias comes in there, listen to how he approaches him. He says, Brother Saul. No, I'd be like, um, are you that one guy that's been murdering everybody, right? Are you, are, are you him? You can't see me right now, right? Are you him? No, he says he embraces him as a brother in Christ, a murderer, persecutor of Christians. Ananias sets the tone for how we should be for our enemies. He turns the feared enemies, loves them like family, takes feared enemies and loves them like family anyway, knowing the past, knowing the background of this person, saw the terrorist of Christians, of believers, who is guilty, blood on his hands, for persecuting and murdering any believers in Jesus Christ. He said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul, he says, embraces him as a brother in Christ. He says this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, 
has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once, something like scales fell from his eyes as he was told what happened. Something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. His sight came back and then he got up. And now I don't even know how he knew to do this. As the Lord was speaking to him and him speaking to the Lord for those three days, he would know he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. What a powerful story of obedience because Ananias, who is this nobody, became the hands, the feet, the voice of the Lord just by being obedient to God telling him. He was obedient and therefore his obedience helped turn a persecutor, the great persecutor of Christians, into the greatest missionary that has ever walked this earth. Ananias doesn't ever get enough credit, and he shouldn't, because the Lord used him, but he was willing. He was a willing vessel for the Lord. And without Stephen's prayer, as Stephen prayed as he was being murdered, Lord, forgive me, because they don't know what they're doing. And Saul was there, and the seed was planted. And without Ananias' obedience, we would never have three-fourths of the New Testament that Paul would pin. That's the power of obedience. This man who helped Saul turn into Paul is a hero of Scripture, and this is the only time we read about him. This is the only time. And it should be encouraging to us that we too can do amazing things when we are obedient. There are three things that he did that I would ask you to, to write down and remember, and then we're going to finish up as the worship team comes up. There are three things. The first thing that Ananias did is that he followed. He was obedient and he followed the guidance of, of the Lord. So Ananias being an example of what Christians should be and something we should emphasize is when the Lord tells us to do something, we go and we are obedient regardless of what our justifications are. He followed. Not only did he follow, the second one is he fellowshiped. He fellowshiped. Look how he approached Saul. That blows me away. The more I think about this, taking a man who is scared for his life, who should be very passive in anything he says because he would fear arrest and even murder. He embraces him. Brother Saul lays hands on him, prays for him, and guides him to baptism. He fellowship. And he facilitated, is the third one, he facilitated his guidance up into um, implanting in Damascus, but in his baptism. Those three little things, that facilitating thing, I want to make, I want to emphasize that real quick, because oftentimes we often say our gifts of the Lord, well, I can't really speak, I can't really do these things, I'm not really good at public speaking or talking or being seen, I just like to kind of work in the background. Thank you. Those are the people that often working in the background are the ones that are guiding and empowering and enabling the message of God to happen, transformations, conversions to happen 
like this. That facilitation, never underestimated, because Ananias is a perfect example of obedience, of guidance, and facilitating one man's salvation by simple obedience to help change the world. And I would argue that we probably wouldn't be where we are right now without this happening. That is powerful. And that's when the spirit moves and we're obedient, amazing things can happen. So if you're here today and you hear this story, it's like, wow. You know, I've, been, I've always been that one to shut down the Lord, to always make my own uh, questions and to question the Lord and my own judgments to be better than what the Lord has said to me. Maybe you needed to hear this. Maybe you're like Ananias. And the Lord's called you to do something. You just haven't been willing to take that step and to follow out of fear of what might happen. Never let fear of the world overcome the voice of the Lord and his direction in your life. Take a step. As you walk out of this building today, don't be that person that wishes they would have. And instead be that person that embraces the fact that they know they should have. So let's pray right now. And I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing together. So let's all stand as we pray. Father, today I thank you for your mercy, your grace, your guidance, and today for your word. I pray that your word speaks to us and, and we find application. And we say, all right, Lord, I needed to hear that today. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do. I'm ready to say the things you need me to say. I'm ready to have that courage and that obedience to advance your gospel, regardless of what the consequences might be, because I know your will is far greater than my own design. So today, may we take that extra step. May we embrace the truth that your word is far greater. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.